You're listening to Rare Gems with Jen. Listen as she discovers and connects with folks from all walks of life. Join her as she explores personal stories, connects on shared struggles, and of course, inserts her inappropriate jokes. Be ready to shine a light on some rare gems that will inspire, challenge, and even intimidate you. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Pluma. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Rare Gems. I am Jennifer Pluma, your host for this podcast. I'm so excited. We are back with another awesome guest. It's crazy how rare gems come into your life. Every time I say rare gems, I wonder if people think that I am saying my name. And I don't know because it sounds, you know, Jen, gems, but that's also supposed to be a play on words. Anyways, but yes, as I was saying, it's crazy how, um, you know, rare gems come into your life. So this episode, <laughs> what I meant to say is today's guest, I met this individual through Teach for America. Um, they were going through the core through the, what is it, like induction? No, in service, institute. Yes, institute. Um, and so at Teach for America, what happens is you go through this, you know, you go through the vetting process, the interview process, um, very rigorous interview process. And then you are selected to go into a specific area in the United States. Move to that city um, if you're not already from there or you know, if you're already there, then you go through this like summer school training. I think it's called summer school Institute or something like that. I think that's what it was called. So I met this individual through there and I was a core member advisor, which is kind of like a coach advising 12 new, I had 12 new teachers. Now he was not part of my cohort. He was, or my core member, I forgot what they were called, but anyways, yeah, he was not part of my group. He was part of somebody else's group. But I would see him from far, from afar and I could hear him. I would see him interact with other individuals. And I could see that this individual, this this person was a leader within this group. Um, and I admire that. I feel like he would often speak up. Um, he was very articulate. I do remember that. And we, we had very few um, interactions during that summer. And then, yeah, we just went our separate ways. I guess I followed him on social media, which we talk about because he takes some bomb ass pictures. And then later we found out. Actually, you'll hear about it in the episode. But spoiler, shout out to his girlfriend for taking some badass pictures. And then we know we also talked about how he makes him look so good. And again, we talk more about that in the episode. And I think one of the things that we talk about that um, I got in my head this happens to me a lot. So while I'm recording, I get in my head of the things that I'm saying, and then I lose, I lose being in the moment. But you know what? I'm owning it. And we're going to back, we're going to back up and we're going to jump to what I was talking about. My favorite parts or topics in the conversation with this individual was family. Um, he brought, he brought up how, how much family means to him. And you know, he shared stories about his grandparents, his mom. Um, I think that son-mother 
dynamic was explored. Um, our culture, which we both come from a Latinx household, um, you know, first generation, low income communities, just, just we definitely connected on so many things. And it was such a genuine conversation as they all are, to be fucking honest, because none of these people, none of these um, guests who have come on this ep- episode on this podcast have been disingenuine ingenuine disingenuine that's the word um all this to say that this was a fucking badass episode i hope you all enjoy he did drop his um instagram handle so a shout out to him and then there's also he has this bookstagram i think so um he recommended some awesome awesome fucking books that i am gonna look into for sure um especially the one of Ansaldua, Gloria Ansaldua. And then there's this podcast that we talked about called Ansaldoing It that I started listening to in New York City. Anyways, all that aside, please enjoy Alejandro Salas. Bye. something gonna happen i know i'm like um, it's incredible i like it yeah mm-hmm. yeah no i really like this platform i feel like whenever i started podcasting i definitely started looking into different platforms one of them was zoom of course but the only thing is well zoom is free riverside is free but zoom at 45 minute it times out mm-hmm. and riverside i think i have like two hours maximum or something like that and okay. then i went a little more I think I went the premium route because I wanted, you know, a little bit more of the features that they had. So mm-hmm. I was really excited about that. For sure. Yeah. I, How I are like you? I'm doing good. Like I mentioned before, I just moved to a new place and I think moving itself is so draining, but I like the idea of starting over. Um so I really appreciated that aspect. I like the nostalgia that comes with moving. Mm-hmm. like reminiscing of memories um and all that good stuff but moving like the physical labor part of moving mm-hmm. absolutely not no i get you where'd you move you moved to austin is that where you are right now i am in austin but i moved from literally five minutes from here to a, another space that mm. is a little bit bigger so it just is more it works for me um mm. and i have a view of the forest so it's not like a big uh a big upgrade but it's nice mm-hmm. it, it does what it's supposed to do you know what 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 triggered the move since i because i know that you were in austin okay first of all why austin don't get me wrong i love austin i hear amazing things of austin yeah i um, austin is a place where maybe if i wouldn't have gone to lived in new york i probably would have moved to austin that would have been my my next city to move to really? i just that's 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 wild to me because i love new york and i want to live in new york at some point in my life because i think it's just my speed everyone minds their business there everybody has Mm. somewhere to be and Mm. i love that in texas um southern hospitality is the thing but i also think people don't mind their business here (laughs) oh absolutely like in new york you could literally do like you could trip and no one would bat an eye because some they have to be where they got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that aspect of New York. It's very fast paced. But I think for me in Austin specifically, it was just um, where I was in my life. I did. Mm. Um, t- I taught for two years in Houston 
And my partner couldn't find a job after COVID. She was really struggling with finding a job just Mm -hmm. right out of undergrad. So she looked in the town that our college was in. Um, I don't want to plug that college or that town. So (laughs) in that that town, um, work was not there um obviously because of covid and just uh, what she wanted to do she wanted to do criminal defense and she's that's what work she's doing now so she got a job here as a paralegal and we moved uh so we've been here in austin for the past year now Mm -hmm. going on to yeah so that is kind of what triggered the move um but i think specifically teaching in austin was something that I really wanted to do because I think that there's a lot of gentrification that happens here in Austin and the yeah. communities that I work in refuse to allow that gentrification to change their communities without mm-hmm. their say. They're very resilient mm-hmm. and just, it's super inspiring to get to be a part of that community every day and learn alongside them. So I knew that I wanted to be in an area like that. Um, the, mm-hmm. sp- the area specifically is um, Del Valley ISD. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where mm-hmm. I was at home. That's what so I call home for the past year. So you're from the Valley. Mm-mm. Oh, <laughs> that's the district I work at. Okay. Oh, okay. It's called Del Valley, but oh, Del when, Valley. Yeah. Del Valley, like Del Valle. But when I moved here, uh-huh. they, I remember having a conversation with someone who's from here and they mm-hmm. were like, Oh, where are you teaching? And I was like, Del Valle. And they were like, you mean Del Valley? They don't call it Del Valle here. They oh, call really? it Del Valle. Yeah. I was like, that's odd because it's literally spelled Del Valle. Del Valle. That's what I would say. That's what I said. And they were like, absolutely not. Do you, oh man. Okay. You just like touch on so many things that I just want to go into, like moving to Austin. I know you come from a, or at least this is what I remember, you know, when we talked last time, you come from a very um, traditional Mexican household. Is that correct? Okay. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. So then I start thinking, how was it whenever you moved with your partner? Was it a big deal as opposed, like, I guess for me, because I'm a woman, because I come from a family who I have, you know, mostly sisters, it's a big as deal. And it was a big as deal when I wanted to move. I wasn't even moving with anyone. I was just moving by myself. So I wonder, yeah. I'm like, was it like that with him? Is it different because he's a man? Before that, though, before we go into that, I do want to touch on something else. Because we're both, are you a Spanish native speaker? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Spanish is when my you, first language. Yeah, same here. Oh my God, dude. I right now work at Clever and I answer a lot of phones, right? And so whenever I'm like, hi, welcome. I mean, thank you for calling Clever. Um, can I get your name, school district, whatever. I find it very difficult to spell like my alphabet. I understand the alphabet, but whenever they're like, you know, um, Fernando, I mean, that's an easy one, but whatever fucking name that they, McGregor. And I'm like, how do you spell McGregor? They're like, M, C, G. And so then in my mind, I'm like, G, is it J or is it G? Like, I, it's really hard for me to spell names. And Mm -hmm. I get so flustered because whenever I say people's names, if I see them in Spanish, like Mm -hmm. Adrian, I usually say Adrian. Adrian, yeah. Do you ever, like, catch yourself doing that too? I do it all the time. Just because of where I, I come from, like, my family taught me to be proud of where I come from. Exactly. Um, so I don't introduce myself as Alejandro. My name is Alejandro. Uh, I wish I had a middle name and, you know, so that it could be that more, that much more uh, Mexican. 
but yeah, it's just Alejandro. And like, even for my students, when I call role, like um, their names, I pronounce them. I ask how their parents or their grownups at home pronounce it. And that's how I pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Like one of my students, all his friends call him Caesar. Um, but I call him Cesar, you know, and just mm-hmm. like that. So uh, I think it's very important to say our na- our students' names correctly, um, mm-hmm. make sure people say our names correctly, because mm-hmm. um, I think they have a lot of significance and speaks to uh, where we come from. Oh, yeah. And what absolutely. we value. I think one, even now as an adult, I remember one time I had this experience with someone where um, I was calling this individual, and I'm not, ah, oh, fuck it. I was calling her by her name, which is Erika, but a lot of people would say Erika, 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 right? And so, um, by the way, I have just, I know so many Erikas, which is perfect because you're not going to know which one I'm fucking talking about if you ever hear this. But I remember one time I <laughs> I called her when I first met her. I'm like, hola, Erika, or hi, Erika. And somebody at the time made a comment of like, she's not Mexican. And I'm like, and then she even turned around and she's like, but I am. And so that immediately got shut down. But I was like, why do you have to shame me in the way I pronounce things? I didn't feel empowered to like say something because I just felt, again, I felt ashamed, like, oh, fuck, maybe I shouldn't be be calling her by that. But she didn't mind it. Like, if anything, she could have told me something. But no, it was somebody else who wasn't minding their damn business. Again, talking about Southern. (laughs) It was this in Texas because people don't mind their business. Like, right now, Politicians think that uh, people who can have babies, it's a political playground. Their bodies are mm-hmm. their political playground. And that is not okay because people don't mind their business here in Texas. So Exactly. Yeah. My body, my fucking choice. Literally. Oh, my God. Absolutely. But let's go back to what I was talking about earlier. How was it to tell, or you tell me, like, I'm, I'm interested to know mm-hmm. what was the reaction of your mom? I say mom because I think your mom, I don't know. I always assume that moms, especially mm-hmm. in like traditional Latinx households, like they're just very strong. Yeah. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So how was that reaction whenever you told her like, hey, I'm moving to Austin because of so-and-so? Like, Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, you're right when you say that uh, my family is very matriarch dominant. Um, my the women in my life make a lot of the decisions. They call a lot of the shots because they're at home taking care of everyone and making sure that everyone's good. But I remember when I first told my mom that I was moving, uh, I think my relationship with my mom is very different um, Mm. because it's very traditional, but my mom also lived a a non-traditional life. And what I mean by that is that she had me very young. um, Mm. So it felt like at very points at various points in our lives we were growing up together mm-hmm. so with my mom I was having to just walk her through the things that I was doing and just ensuring her that it was going to be okay because a lot of the things that I had done or I was doing were I was the first in my family to do like moving away from home was something that no one in my family has done so I was just like having to just have these conversations with my mom telling her, you don't have to pay for anything. It's going to be fine. And I can come home all the time. But obviously 
I think that my mom has a lot of trauma when it comes to moving. So it was very scary for her to to like understand and wrap her head around me moving and just leaving home. Mm-hmm. But she's also been someone who's always taught me the importance of following my dreams and doing mm-hmm. whatever makes me happy. So I think it's it 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 goes both ways. Like I don't think that she was as hard as other families might have been or other moms might have been if I were a girl. Mm-hmm because there is that double standard mm. but she did just like reassure me that i need to be careful and i need to make sure that i am doing what makes me happy at the end of the day so it was my mom and i's relationship is something that i am very proud of but also very nervous in talking about because we've come a long way a long way yeah very long way mm-hmm. why do yeah. you say that in what way well, because like I like I mentioned, my mom and I are so for context. My mom had me right before her fifteenth birthday. So, are you the grew, oldest? I'm the oldest. Yeah. So, I feel for like a lot of the times, my mom was trying to figure herself out. She was trying to grow, trying to come into her own, by also giving me the life that she wish she would have had. And I think that was very difficult. So, um, we. I feel like for a lot of the times, she, a lot of in major points in our life, she depended on me a lot mm-hmm. to help her make these decisions, to help her with my siblings, to just be someone that she can share some of the burdens that she was facing with, mm-hmm. uh, that she was facing. So I think that before I went to college I and in college, I kind of resented her for a little bit. I, I, I felt like I was taking on a little bit too much for a 19-year-old person Mm -hmm. who's just trying to figure it out Um, but then I think that I've started to grow and I've started to learn that oftentimes we don't let our moms be humans like I I I forget that my mom before she was my mom she was a human Um, Mm -hmm. and she has her traumas that she has walked with and um, I feel like we never have space for our moms like Mm-hmm. My mom has gone through so much in life and yeah. that was manifesting in the things that she was, we were having to go through and like the decisions that she was making. And I mm-hmm. never, you know, t- took time to think about that until now. Mm-hmm. So now my mom and I's relationship is amazing because we give each other grace. We give each other space, but also um, we're very compassionate. Like when my mom makes a mistake, it's never like, why would you do that? You're grown already. These are things that you should, you know, you should already understand. And you should know how to approach these in life because you're not 20 anymore, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It's more of like, it's okay. Like we're human. Um, we live and we learn. So yeah, my mom's relationship and I is something that makes me super happy because it's it's been a 180 for sure. Would you attribute some of that 180 to like setting boundaries within the relationship or not, or not necessarily? It's so hard because um, I would say that, yes, boundaries, but also just having conversations with my mom and really listening to her because my mom is someone who loves to, recently, loves to learn and loves to just listen. Mm -hmm. So uh, she'll, like, if if she notices that I'm upset or I didn't like what was said to me or what I, what happened, she's always like, what happened? You know, why are you feeling that way? Um, and then we just kind of just talk about it. And she's very open to listening to my feelings. And mm-hmm. I think because we grew up together, literally, we quite literally we grew up together. My mom, I'm 25. I'm about to be 25. My mom is about to be 40. 
So like we literally grew up together. And yeah. I think that like we just know each other and like mm -hmm. know what really gets us upset. And um, we know how to how to talk to each other. Obviously, there are things that we still have to work out. Like my mom doesn't apologize to me. She just cooks for me or she'll say like, come eat some food. <laughs> But you know, little by little, um, now my mom isn't like, I don't have to ask her for permission to do anything. Yeah. She's just like, you know, take care of yourself, be that there. But it's never like, don't do that because I'm your mom. And that's what it was when I first moved back home. I was like, yeah. I'm grown, I'm 21. You can't be telling me what to do. But I was living in her house. So. <laughs> It's just, I, I would say, like, to answer your question, long story short, uh, just being open and just being very empathetic, but also treating her the same. Like, being open, listening to her, um, mm -hmm. knowing that she's human and that mm -hmm. she also has lived life before me. You know, my mom's oh. a human first before she's my mom. Absolutely. I love that. I feel like one of the things that I, and, and this is something that I'm still working through um and just processing on my own similar to you i mean i'm 27 and i think my mom's about to be either 46 or 47 so we're like she she's right there and i still have an older sister imagine that right so my mom wow. definitely had i think my older sister when she was 15 she had me when she was 19 and but after that it was like back to back just popping them out um mm. and i went through a very similar place that you did with your mom of like i think acceptance is a big thing that I still am working through. I feel like I have to go back to therapy for that shit still just to process a lot of it. Cause I was, there's still some moments. It's really hard just for me to accept that, you know, this is like, she's doing the best that she can. And that is something that I'm like, no, but she can do more. No, but mm -hmm. she can do this. No, but you know, cause she's, she's my mom and all these things. But it's like, hold up, take a step back. Like, yes, yeah, she's your mom, but similar to what you just said right now, like before she's my mom, she's a human. She has her needs. She has her trauma. She wants to be wanted and loved and accepted and understood and all these things, you know? Uh, and I love yeah. my mom and she's a very strong woman. Um, she's a role model. I think one of the things I always said when I was growing up, and this is something I, I changed later on in life. I always said, you know, when I was little, I would always say, my mom is my hero. My mom is my hero. And then I, I felt like me saying that for such a long time was detrimental in our relationship because I had her at such high standards in a pedestal, right? That if she ever made a mistake, it was like, but well, you're supposed to be my heroes. Like heroes don't do that. Heroes don't cry. Heroes don't let other people treat them bad, you know? And then I got to a point where I'm like, she cannot change, but I can change the way I see her. So then I started yeah. saying, my mom is my role model. I am my hero. I, I am my own hero. And I, to this day, I'm like, I love you, mommy. You are a strong woman and I look up to you. But at the end of the day, I am my hero and you are my role model. Mm -hmm. You know? Sure. Yeah. It's so powerful, man. Yeah. It's so, I think we also have this um, really bad tendency. And I, I, and I, I want to contribute it to capitalism. But I don't have like the nuances to make that connection. But I, hopefully, I, I do soon. But I feel like as a society, we just we just or measure our mothers and our moms' worth based off of like how many sacrifices they've made for us. And I think that's oh, yeah. super unfair. Like my mom is a good mom because look at all, all the things that she sacrificed. Yeah. But like my mom's a good mom because she loves me and she cares for me and mm -hmm. she hold space for, you know, my trauma and my wants and my desires. So I should repay the favor. Like my mom is walking with 
lots of loss, um, lots mm -hmm. of grief, uh, lots of desires, lots of hopes, lots of joys. And I think that having space for that is super important because I think that that's how we get free. I think so. I think like if we hold space for each other um, and really hold each other up, I think we'll see a better, better world, definitely. Oh, yeah. I think even just talking about our moms, it makes me think this is something I've been wanting to do. I just don't know how to do it. No, I do know how to do it. I think I'm just scared. But I always tell my mom, you know, would you ever come on my podcast? And she was like, you know, what are we going to talk about? And I'm like, I don't know. We're going to have a whole therapy session, <laughs> right? Um, but I know that this is something I want to do. I don't know when. I don't know if she wants to still, but she was just like, okay, like, I guess. I just, I think I'm, I don't know. I just want it to be something that's beautiful and organic and like almost, I don't know. I don't know. And and then part of me also is like, well, don't, don't have any expectations. Just let it be a conversation between a mom and a daughter and have fun. Maybe have a few drinks in and make it whatever it's going to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also super hard to like have vulnerable conversations, especially with like a lot of traditional Mexican culture um like i i i would love to have you know conversations with um my grandparents or someone to just talk about their life but they're just so conditioned to asking how i'm doing mm -hmm. um and you know what's going on with me so i feel like it'd be really hard but honestly really really rich because my grandma unfortunately is no longer with me here um mm -hmm. but i i regret not like you know having time to like talk to her about life yeah. and you know what she went through and all that like how how she got to be so resourceful because yeah. when i tell you i would open a um a charola of butter and it'd be salsa. <laughs> i'd be like <laughs> yeah my grandma built a life out of the meager cards this country dealt um yeah so yeah i would love to you know hear that go back and have that conversation yeah yeah no, and then just hear your conversation with your mom because i think i think moms are just i love my mom i can talk about my mom all day oh me too i <laughs> and my mom is such a people's person even though she says she or maybe she thinks she's not but she has a genuine conversation with everyone she meets my mom is like and and she always says you know yo doy y dios me lo va a regresar diez veces más and I'm like, mom, stop. Like, you know, sometimes she's cooking at her in her restaurant for herself and people come and they're like, well, you know, what are you cooking? I'm like, no, that's for us. But then she's like, stop, you know, that is. And Dios is going to bless me 10 times even more. But oh, one of the things, oh yeah, for sure. One of the things that I know you mentioned earlier was like you, and this is like kind of switching gears or maybe not, you know, maybe it'll go back to moms because at the end of the day, moms are queens always. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was thinking back to what you said about you wanting to be in a face-paced environment. And I feel like every time I talk to you, you're very intentional about what you do. You're, I don't know, like, I feel like your mind just works like bam, 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 bam. You're shaking your head like, what the, f no, not even. I literally just fake it till I make it. Like, I, I just have to do it because but where does that come from? Like it, it's 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 kind of like a hustle mentality, but within education. Like uh-uh, you ain't about to run me up and down. I know my shit, and I blah 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 blah. Like where did but where does that come from? I think it comes from my grandparents. Um, more specifically, my grandpa. Um, my abuelo's like my dad. Um, 
but like I said, my mom had me really young. You see, we keep coming back to my mom. Uh, I told you. <laughs> my mom had me really young. So my grandparents had to like help raise me. Yeah. And um, we lived like 10, a 10 minute walk from my elementary school. And like I said, I grew up with uh, my grandparents. So the Spanish was my first language. It means so much to me because it helps me connect to my people. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows me to just help my grandparents understand the world that we live in, especially mm-hmm. because English is such a big part of this country, the United States. And um, so I remember talking to my friends in Spanish and I was in the bilingual program, but it wasn't really bilingual. So I was in the bilingual program at my elementary It was school. mostly Spanish? It was mostly Spanish, yeah. yeah. It was not I bilingual or dual language. Um, and I was talking mm-hmm. to my friends and I remember distinctly one of my principals coming up to us and saying, like, um, we shouldn't be talking English because in this country, only people who speak English are successful. Mm. And I remember feeling super upset because for me, like I said, my my Spanish tongue connected to me to my, my grandparents. That's what I yeah. went home to um, and it was home to me. So I remember going home really distressed and telling my grandpa, I need to learn English because I'm not going to be successful. And mm. my grandpa was like, de que estás hablando? And I remember my grandpa marching up to my school, regardless of his status as an undocumented um, immigrant, he went up there. And I know that that's, that was super hard for him, but he yeah. went up there and I remember him just yelling at them, like, how dare you do this to, like, how dare you create a space where yeah. my grandson cannot be who he is and cannot show up as um, himself 100% and has to has to abandon pieces of his identity when you know coming into school so I remember from then on I just learned that in order to fight for what's right I have to advocate for myself and Mm -hmm. I have to advocate for people who look like me who come from similar communities Mm -hmm. so I think that is where it all comes from I think my grandpa taught me that this country is going to do everything in its power to debase you, but you got to find your footing um, and you got to work in community with others. So I think that's why I, I don't allow shit. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I can tell absolutely. And in the few times, right. That you and I have met because I, I, I can't say, Oh yeah, I've known Alejandro for years. I mean, in the sense of like, you know, we're very, very close. I knew you the f- through Teacher America, you were a core member. What what mm-hmm. core member are you? Like, what year are you? 20... 2019. 2019. There you right go. Right before was, COVID. Uh, oh, was it? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was. You were in Hartman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. That is correct. And so then I was a core member advisor. So I was, yeah. like, uh, coaching other individuals. Mm-hmm. And I knew you. You weren't even in my group. But I could just, I could tell that you were a leader amongst leaders. Um. And I immediately, and that was one of the things that I felt interested in. And, and I was also curious in the sense of like, wow, I love that because you're a Latino, because you can speak your mind, because you were with it, because you like you just kept flowing with things. And I'm like, I love that. I think also pushing it even further as I'm thinking about it right now, I think because I didn't really see Latin men 
own spaces mm. the way you own your space and you own your story. I feel mm. like that for me is something that I struggle maybe seeing or maybe I do see it, right? But I, I don't recognize it because of my own, I don't know, thinking and thoughts about men, you know, not growing up with men in my, like a, mm-hmm. a father figure in my life, so on and so forth. So whenever I saw you doing it and you did it in such a way that I didn't feel threatened and I mm-hmm. feel like others didn't feel threatened by you. It was just like, I'm going to own this space and I am here and I matter and you're going to listen to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I'm glad that that's how you feel <laughs> because I had no idea. You know, I, I think, I was just raised to be like inclusive because um, I remember like, and not like my, my grandma didn't explicitly say like, you need to be inclusive, but she was like, <laughs> I remember once I learned English, I would speak to my cousins because we are all around the same age and I, we would speak in English, right? We just learned yeah. English. Like let's blunt our English, right? And my grandma was hey, like, aquí en esta casa. Yeah, literally. And she was like, aquí en esta casa no se habla así. Like <laughs> if I'm around, you need to speak in Spanish. Mm. Um, and essentially what she was asking is like, I want to be in part of, I want to be a part of the conversation. I want to have mm. a seat at the table. I want to know what y'all are talking about um, because mm. I'm here and I matter. And I think that's what I've always kept near and dear to my heart. Like I, I, I don't, I think everyone matters. And I think that everyone deserves to have their voice heard and everyone should be feel, feel included. And I think that that's where it comes from because my grandma always fought to make sure that we all included each other um, and we were a part of inclusive spaces. Granted, she didn't say you need to be inclusive, you know, but it was just the way that she fostered that within our house. I love that, I love that. I Would you then say that that took you is that what then inspired you in, into education? Did you always know you wanted to go into education? No. Or was that just kind of like a, look it, let's just see what it happens? I don't know. Okay, so I am a very indecisive person. Um, if you're into horoscope, it's because I'm a Libra. But I really don't understand that stuff. So I just, I just say it's a fit in. I'm like, yeah, I'm Libra. You know, and I'm like, this is what's, I just, I don't understand it. But from what I've learned and what people have told me, it's I'm indecisive. So I remember when I was graduating from college, Mm -hmm. Uh, the only thing on my mind was I need to get out because Mm -hmm. the college I went to was super racist and Mm -hmm. super just toxic like was it in Texas by the way yes it was in Texas and um it's just like small town hub Mm -hmm. (laughs) so like everyone from small towns go there and it's Mm -hmm. just very it was just very toxic like Mm -hmm. um I think that like we get different kinds we see different kinds of racism and how it shows up in different types of spaces but Mm -hmm. in that space it was super violent um super where people were blatant blatantly racist so i think the only thing on my mind was i want to get out and i never want to be a part of spaces that make me feel less than or Mm -hmm. make me feel unimportant or make me feel scared um for my life or for um the people that i love who are deportable who are considered deportable based off of, you know, the United States. Their status, yeah. And their status. So I I just, I I knew that teaching would be something that, I looked into Teach for America because one of my um, professors mentioned it and it sounded like a great opportunity. Uh, And at the time I I wanted to be a lawyer, but I didn't feel ready to do Mm. that. Um, But then I fell in love with teaching. I fell in love with kids. And now I feel like I will never in my life work with an adult. And I would rather spend the rest of my life working with kids because they're just amazing. Um, 
adults not so much because yeah. like if a kid you know tells me something that they're not supposed to tell me i'm like you're 12 you'll learn but if a 30 year old person tells me that i'm like what is your excuse you should know better you should know better but exactly trying to be empathetic you know trying to be um open to that but like also get it together you know oh absolutely like have some common sense sir Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so do you want to continue education so i've actually just transitioned into a role that is education um and is more advising focus because Mm -hmm. uh, I'm actually going to be pursuing my master's in social work because I want to be a clinical social worker, more specifically in detention centers for unaccompanied minors or in schools because I want to incorporate a trauma-informed lens in the practices that I I partake in or I, you know, flesh out Mm -hmm. um, and streamline or I would like to center the work that I do around transformative justice, which is like a framework that I'm still trying to wrap my head around, but it sounds Mm. great because I think that that is um, a blueprint for what a country grounded in liberation looks like. So long story short, yes, but not right now. (laughs) No, 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 no. And I know that you you got accepted into multiple um, master programs. I did, unfortunately. Because, you know, institutions, what they just get on my nerves. But yeah, I did. What do you mean, unfortunately? Because, like... Do I you just, think, is it for the... What do people call it? Like, to make the quota? I don't know. I don't know. I like... Is that what you think? Is is that what you tell yourself, or what? I hate that in order to feel... to Like, to be valued in the society that we live in, you mm-hmm. have to have an education or you have to like sell your soul to these institutions because I personally think that a lot of learning comes from like the communities in the in um you know where you come from. Mm-hmm. Like I did not learn empathy at Texas A&M University. Look at me plugging this university. I did not learn compassion at this school. I learned it at my dining table with my grandma and my grandpa. Um mm-hmm. with my mom. I learned um how to give people grace within my classroom. Mm-hmm. in Greenspoint, Houston, Texas, or Del Valle ISD, you know? So mm-hmm. I just don't feel like I need to sell my soul to these institutions to learn. But in order to do what I want to do in my future, I have to do that. Because in order to be like a clinical social worker in these spaces, you have to have mm-hmm. that degree, unfortunately. Absolutely. And when do you start your... In the fall, in August. Oh, so like nice. a, few, a few months, a few, no, a few weeks from now. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, shit. Congratulations. That's exciting. Are you excited? I'm excited. I'm just nervous about like what it'll look like for me because the I'm, uh, you know, I'm also being going to be working full time. Mm -hmm. But I think that my job will allow me to take what I learned from school and apply it to the work that I'm doing. Because like I said, it's more of like an advising role. It Mm -hmm. um, centers making a pathway and a trajectory for first-gen students mm-hmm. in middle schools to get to college by the time they graduate high school. So I that's kind that. of what I'm doing, which is like completely uh, against what I just said about institutions. But I want my people to know that these careers that are out there are something that they can accomplish. Um, oh, absolutely. They, I mean, my are, sister. 
Yeah, no, my sister, she's getting her degree to be, uh, no, she got her degree in a social worker. She is working towards her license. Right now she's working at Search, which is a nonprofit here in Houston. They mm. help out the homeless and stuff. She had to like volunteer at facilities at detention centers for like young, you know, for the youth and then also for adults. Um, and she stays working. She has like a caseload. She got promoted within the nonprofit. Um, she really, really likes it. She likes the job. She likes what she's been learning. She studied. She was the one that we were like, oh, she's going to graduate. But look at her. Like, she was the first. No, honestly, she was the first one to get her master's. So she's doing the damn thing. Uh, yeah, she should. Was it like, maybe school is not for you? Or was it like, you got this? Or, you know, keep pushing. Mm. <laughs> no, was she it? was. It was always like, maybe school was not for her. And even from high mm. school, like, she just That's didn't tough. like high school. She didn't. Like, and at also, I will, you know, plug this in. She was the oldest of mm-hmm. four, five of us. She was th- like the second parent. She had a lot mm-hmm. on her shoulders that at the time, none of us knew, right? It was just like, oh, that's my older sister. But she was carrying a lot of trauma and like just a lot of things, weight, yeah. 100%. Um, she ended up going back to school later on in, 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 in the year. She, she didn't go to school straight out of college. She, mm-hmm. she got a very like short career. And then she was like, you know what? I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to get an education and I want to go back. And she got her bachelor's and she didn't take a break. She's like, if I take a break, I'm not going to go back. You know, let's keep with the momentum and ended up going to her master's. She was the person. And I even told her this. She inspired me to get my master's Um, because of her. I was like, you know what? Because I was just kind of like I went to New York. I started my master's. It wasn't what I was, what I thought it was going to be. I didn't feel invested. I felt like I was just checking off a box Mm. because to teach in New York, you have to have a master's. Interesting. Yeah. Everyone needs to have a master's. And a lot of people do the, you know, master's of arts in teaching, which it's pretty much you study pedagogy. Mm. Um, but that wasn't my passion. I didn't, I was like, what? I don't, I, I didn't care to be honest. It was interesting to me. Um, yeah, because it's like, what am I supposed to do when a kid is like going through it? Am I just supposed to show them my pedagogy? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Like what? I, I didn't, it wasn't applicable to what mm-hmm. I was dealing with in the classroom at the time. Yep. And again, mm-hmm. it just felt like I was checking off a box. I was, plus we were going, I don't know, I can go into a rant about that. So I decided to do the unexpected. And I and I told, you know, Teach for America New York that I was like, I don't want to go to college. I don't want to yeah. continue this. And they were just like, well, you you have to. And I said, well, I'm moving back to Houston. Um, came back to Houston, took a year. I, I was teaching at one of the Yes Prep schools. And then I went to get my master's. Then I found out, okay, maybe this is what I want to do, educational leadership. Um, and I got my master's in that. Am I principal? No. Will I ever be? You never know. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you would thrive as a principal. <laughs> I, I think you would. I think you, I think, uh, don't even get me started, what great principals look like because you're right here. But it, yeah, let me not, let me not. No, no, no. I I get you. But I felt like I, to be honest, I think COVID 
burned out a lot of teachers. Oh, oh yeah. A lot of administrators, a lot of, you know, just like staff, it mm-hmm. took a toll on everyone and for people sure. who were in the industry, in the education industry for like 20 years plus, they were just like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Which was crazy, man. It's so mm-hmm. crazy. It's wild because um, I think for me, it was like education was or had the opportunity to really reinvent itself mm-hmm. and really figure out what it was prioritizing. Mm-hmm. And when it came down to it, they went right back to what they were doing and prioritized mm-hmm. money and wealth and test scores and what is going to funnel more money into my district. So. I think that is kind of my qualm with education. I would love to go back to education, just not right now, because I am not being valued as an individual and my students are not being valued as an individual. So, Oh, absolutely. I think that was one of the things that I, I've always said, like I started off in a place in an institution and then I was just like, you know what? I'm not being valued. I'm not being appreciated. I'm not being thought of. Like, do I want to continue being here? Nope. So you know what? I'm going to move. And then again, am I being valued? Am I, and I'm like, why am I, I guess I had to take a step back and ask myself, there's a pattern. Mm-hmm. It ain't me because yeah. I'm bringing in the scores. <laughs> Pull up my scores. Pull up my exactly. Scores. Pull up my receipts because exactly. I, I am, I'm bringing in that value. It's exactly. not me. Mm-hmm. And I just needed to be like, you know what? I, and for the first time, it was so hard. I needed to choose myself. Mm-hmm. Which is like something that teach that teachers or education doesn't value. Or like literally they set up this idea that in order to be a good teacher, you have to like s- sell your soul or mm-hmm. you have to like shred pieces of what makes you you or you have to like bend over backwards. Like yeah, for... Like- for literally anything, like to be teacher of the year, you have to do these things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, for what? Mm-hmm. I don't need to stay late every day to be a good teacher. Mm-hmm. I don't need to come early every day to be a good teacher. I don't need to lead every single club there is to be a good teacher. Mm-hmm. I need to show up for my kids every day and allow them to be themselves authentically to be a good teacher. Do they recognize that? No unless you bring in the good test scores, you know? So I just got a call from my last principal asking me to come back because of my test scores. And I was like, how about you ask me to come back because you value me as an individual and maybe I'd consider it, but. Oh shit, you said that? No, I didn't say that because he he might sign my check, but you know, I felt it. (laughs) I thought that, you know? Oh my, you're like, fuck no, I didn't say that. (laughs) But I thought it, you know. Like, no, no, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Oh my god! Um, before we go into the lightning round of questions, I do want to ask you because I, I, every time I see you post pictures, how the do you post some badass pictures? Wait, which pictures? Like, like on your Instagram, or, my, or are you trying to are you trying to get me to plug my my, my socials? Hell yeah! <laughs> Follow me uh, at yeah. no. so. I so I actually how do you put like yeah I'm, I'm generally into, curious so I live by this Toni Morrison quote that was like 
if you don't see what you want the world to produce, create it. Um, so I have been in this kind of like creation mindset. Like mm-hmm. I want to create spaces that make me feel good. I want to create things that make me feel happy. Uh, and one of the things that I've created is a platform that uplifts Black, Indigenous, and people of color and their stories. So I'm a big reader. and most of the pictures I post are about books. Is that what you're talking about? The books or like well, pictures you know, the of books me? or even just pictures of you and your partner. Like I, how do you get them to be looking so good? Edit them. <laughs> really? Honestly, is that what it is? Just editing them, making the, yeah. Editing them, making sure my partner knows my angles, making <laughs> sure we stay that we have like 30 minutes. A lot of like we can do this picture. Um, but also I got into film camera recently and I really like film because it eliminates that, oh, this picture is horrible. I need to take it again because you mm. won't see it until 30 days after. So yeah, uh, yeah I really like film. Um, I've been trying to like just capture stuff because life goes by too fast. And before you know it, you're going to look back on times and you're going to be like, I have no pictures of that time. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just trying to create, trying to do what makes me happy. So I think photography, I'm not like a photographer by any means, mm-hmm. but I do like taking pictures and editing. No, your yeah. Instagram looks really cool. Like pictures that you post, I think you recently went to, uh, I stalker. you went to, um, I think, what, Seattle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the pictures that you posted were like beautiful. Please don't, don't hide me up because my I'm head's going to be too big and I can't fit through the door. I'm serious. <laughs> So if you want to see some of his pictures, and you know what, I will post some whenever I, I post your episode. So they, the people, the the people, <laughs> the, the listeners, the, the listeners, people, uh, yeah, the, the listeners can know what I'm talking about. But no, tell me about this creative space for the one that you were talking about. So yeah, is it about, like a social media page mm-hmm. or? Yeah, so it's actually, um, I am kind of upset because at the time that it was popular it, it was a book it's a bookstagram so essentially i just post about books and talk about them and post like my thoughts my reflections but then you know tiktok came and now everybody's on book talk so ah. i'm trying to pivot into that but i also don't because reading is something that makes me happy and brings mm-hmm. me joy mm-hmm. and i don't want to get it to where it like starts to feel like more labor so maybe not Mm -hmm. but my space is alejandro.reads on instagram and i just post a bunch of books and talk about them i haven't been posting as i'd like to as much as i'd like to because Mm -hmm. life but i have been reading i love to read Uh, i think reading has taught me so much about myself and my relationships so i love it how do you find it's going to sound like a really stupid question, honestly, but how do you find the time to read? I feel like that's something I've been struggling lately mm-hmm. to find the energy, the dedication to like, how do you, cause I can do it for working out. Like no matter what, I know I'm going to get a 30 minute workout. Mm-hmm. And no matter what I, my, I revolve my day around my workout. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do people get to that in reading? Yeah. I think, I think it's the same mentality. Like, the way you prioritize working out that's that's what i do with reading i prioritize reading obviously it's not like if i don't get to it i'm the worst person in the world but you know thanks you know it's not like that at all if i don't do it and it's fine i can do it tomorrow 
Um, so I just try to do at least 30 minutes a day to read. And I have gotten into audiobooks. I think audiobooks serve amazing in that way because they allow yeah. you to do things and read at the same time. So like I listen to my audiobooks on the Stairmaster. I listen to my audiobooks on my way to work. I listen to my audiobooks on literally anything. And I think mm -hmm. it's also, it comes down to the fact that I read books that I see myself in. So mm -hmm. I think it's very important to also prioritize books that allow you to see yourself in and you find pieces of yourself within the, the books and the text. What is one of your favorite Spanish books? Uh, I really like So Far From God by Ana Castillo. It was actually translated from Spanish into English. And I really like that book because it, it talks about curanderas. And it just reminded me of my grandma because my grandma was a curandera. Oh, wow. Known, like she didn't have a business or anything, but she was a curandera. And she took care of people and she made people feel better. She made people feel happy. And uh, I saw that growing up. So reading this book allowed me to like, see my grandma and my tias mm -hmm. and just read about their lives. And it reminded me of the life that I used mm -hmm. to live with my grandma and my tias. And then I also like Borderlands by Gloria. Estefan? No, Gloria. Oh, I know, I know, uh, I know. Anazandula, I think it's called. Yes. I think that's yes. how you pronounce it. Um, Anazandula, yeah. It, um, it just talks about like living in the in-between, like mm -hmm. living in liminal spaces, living in and not feeling a part of this side of or this piece of your identity and not feeling 100% of this part of your identity. So it's, there's a podcast dedicated to her, Gloria Ansaldua, mm -hmm. Ansaldua, because mm -hmm. um, and I remember this podcast, I found it while in New York and the podcast is called Ansaldoing It. Oh, I love that. And let me, let me check out that podcast. Dude, it is so good. When I first started, like I, I started listening to them when they were, the, you know, they were first like really seeing some episodes. I just mm -hmm. found them. I think somebody recommended them to me and it was, they're two queer individuals. One of them went through a transformation. Um, and then the other one, you know, she, she got married or whatever, but it's just such a, beautiful podcast such a beautiful episode just what they talk about i definitely resonated with them so i'm still yeah. doing it putting in a plug for you listen to it it's awesome okay awesome yeah i'm gonna listen to it because i love i love me some podcasts that talk about books and they're both like latinx individuals who are working towards their phd i think one mm. of them recently got it and it's just the the road that they went through it's crazy and i love it so yeah Let's I also want to plug. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. Go for it. Oh, I was just gonna plug uh, Cantoras. Cantoras. By, yes, it's an amazing book. It just talks about how it it is about five women, mm -hmm. five lesbian women who just find safe spaces within themselves. And the mm. friendships that they cultivate because um it takes place in uruguay and it is talking about like the dictatorship and mm. how um people were exiled because of their identities and mm. who they chose to love so these five women discover a piece of land or an island and mm. they just build 
a life around that island and it's just grounded in love and liberation and it's just a, such a beautiful book that will tear you to pieces and i think everybody on this podcast should listen should read that book <gasps> i'm gonna listen to it just because there's lesbians in it i'm kidding <laughs> yeah no, but i feel like as a queer woman especially as a lesbian latin woman there growing up i always was I don't want to use the word attracted, but definitely like gravitated towards stories that mm. felt out of the norm just because I knew deep down, even when I was a little kid, like I was a little different than the rest of the world. Mm. Right. Like yeah. there was something about me that I, I felt just like the odd man out and I never knew what it was. And now that I've grown into what it is and the kind of the type of love that I want in my life and, you know, my relationship with my I've grown into this space where like, yeah, this is who I am and I'm owning it. I couldn't say even when I was what, like 20, maybe three years ago, 24, 25 years old, I couldn't own the fact that, yeah, I'm a lesbian. I couldn't say those words. I felt so constrained by just the expectation that society and even obviously, well, not obviously, but mostly men and like the pervertedness that that, you know, identity had been put on where I was like, you know what, fuck that. Like it is what I identify in and it's who I am and it's who I, I choose to be. And I love being this way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's so important. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you like come into your own because I think that, or it just, I've like understood that and have come to learn that because I feel like so many people live their lives depending on what other people want for them Absolutely. and want of them. And life's too short to be doing that. You got to live your life to the fullest because life is like, I don't know. I've been thinking about like death and grief and all of this and mm -hmm. li life really comes at you fast. So you got to live it 100% um, to the max every single day. You just got to. Uh, I love that. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the lightning <laughs> round of questions. Did you write down answers, by the way? I, I was I, like, I, I think did I'm not. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I did not because, I, you know, I wanted to really immerse myself in this space with you. And I you told me that. not to. <laughs> no, 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 liar. I didn't say that. I said if you want to or you can just, like, you know, let it be whatever, whatever it's going to be. So, okay. So, number one, in one word, success to me means? Happiness. Do you want me to explain why? Or you can. I think happiness because I've never done anything for monetary value. Mm -hmm. I remember um, it just like work with kids. They're like, you're here because you get paid. I'm like, I would not be here if it was for the money. <laughs> you know, like I'm here because of you. Because exactly. you bring me happiness and y'all bring me joy. So I think success is measured and it means to me or I think success for me equates to happiness. I love that. Numero dos. I want to continue learning about. I want to continue learning about poetry because I would love to get better at writing poetry and just writing in general because I think that poetry especially like defies limits of language and mm -hmm. structure and i think that if we really take time to think about poetry and really take it in and listen to like 
very specific poets. They essentially give you a, a blueprint for what the world should look like. So poetry, I want to get better at writing poetry Oof, and learning right. more about poetry. Poetry reminds me of like you saying that it takes me back to high school. I learned where we were starting to learn about poetry my senior year. I was in English or AP English literature and AP Spanish literature. And I'm both, I was learning poems in Spanish and poems in English. And oh my God, there's such a fuck. I was like, I, I, what the fuck are they saying? Why can they say it this way? I, oh, I was traumatized by it. But shout out to Miss Jaramillo because that was honestly Spanish literature was my favorite class. Shout out to the teachers that really made it make sense for us. Yo, yeah. <laughs> Number three, okay. Connection equals. Connection equals. Compassion, I think, is, is where I'm going to go with. I think that we can have connections all the time. But if we don't have compassionate connections, it's very hard to like really feel like you have a solidified connection with someone. Does that make sense? I feel like I use the word connection six times. <laughs> I love that connection equals compassion. That's so powerful. Ooh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> Number four, the funniest person I know is my grandpa and my I mom. I knew you were going to say your grandpa. Bro, my grandpa is funny, like funny. It just like, you know, those people that you can just stare at and they just make you laugh. Yeah. That's my grandpa. Like, it, honestly, if I got paid to watch my grandpa just live his life, I'd be so happy. Oh, <laughs> is he yeah. still with you? Yes. My grandpa is about to be 90 and <gasps> man looks like he is 60. Like he walks. He is very active. Good. Um, he has goats and um, in Houston. So it's just so funny to me because he lives within city limits and that's not supposed to be happening. So y'all don't tell all my grandpa. <laughs> but my grandpa just lives life to the fullest every single day. Good. As he should. 90-year-old. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Mm-hmm. He spent the last, like, 10 years taking care of my grandma. And um, my grandma recently passed. So he's kind of just, like, coming into his own Try mm-hmm. to figure out what life looks like without her mm-hmm. and um, what doing things that are making him happy. Like he just went to Mexico not too long mm-hmm. ago, came back happy as ever. I love that. Good. Mm-hmm. You should be enjoying life. And then finally, the last one, a rare gem in my life is. <laughs> my students, I think. Uh, I, I think that when I became a teacher I was like I'm gonna teach my kids so much about the world and so much about life and so much about what it means to be a first-gen student a first-generation graduate a first-generation everything Um, and I left the classroom after three years with lessons that they taught me like my students taught me how to be compassionate my students taught me how to be loving uh, and my students taught me how to like really take in the moment and show up for people who who you who remind you of like the simpler things in life, who mm-hmm. remind you of what it is to love someone unconditionally. And I think that my students are just rare gems because they deserve so much love and so much light. And I feel like in education they get a bad rap because 
you know, their kids and the way they show up sometimes isn't the best way, but it's their yeah. way and that's what matters, you know? Oh, what a fucking dude. I love the way you express yourself. I love the way you just articulate and you, again, you just own, own your story, own your memories, own the, what you've been through and, and the things that you've done. And on that note, I just, I want to thank you for giving me and the listeners, you know, a few minutes of your lifetime. Um, it, it's been amazing to connect with you and I, yeah, what? <laughs> Just thank you for having me here. I love, okay, I don't like telling people my life story, but I like sharing my life story. It's so weird. Like, I love talking about, because I, it's not my life story. Like, it's my life story, but it's about, you know, the people who contributed of to this person how I am right now. So I just love talking about the people who made me me. So thank you for just allowing me to share that. And now I'm going to call my parents and tell them how much I love them. And my students, maybe I'll send them an email. Be like, As you should. I see you. Like, hey, Shout uh, out to you. <laughs> thank you for, you know, helping along. Have a great summer. <laughs> All right, Alejandro. Well, we'll connect soon. Of course. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you.